Well, we're going to be uh, looking again into the book of Philippians as part of our, our time together. We, we like to get into God's word together uh, so that God's word can kind of get into us. That's, that's the general idea. And we're focusing for a few weeks on the New Testament book in the Bible uh, called Philippians. And today we're in a passage on page 1179 if you want to have that uh, nearby. And if you've uh, been before, you may remember uh, that this is a letter that was sent uh, by the Apostle Paul, uh, one of the founding kind of fathers of the church, uh, to a church that he started in the Greek city of Philippi in the first century. And we were thinking about it last time. We were in the first half of chapter 2 then. And we were looking, as Joe led us, at this amazing poem you can see there on the page from verse 6 to 11. It's kind of set out in poetry, isn't it? And that's because it's written like that. And it's an amazing poem. Or, as some people think, it could have been a song. It could have been a hymn that the churches used to sing. Or, or we don't know, really. Don't know what the tune might be. But anyway, it's an amazing poem, an amazing song. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about how Jesus, as God, doesn't hold on to his privileges. He willingly lays them aside. He comes into our world as a human being. He embraces the role, not just of a human being, but of a servant or a slave. And then even more than that, he gives his life on a cross As we heard last week, even a cross, it said. And that word even is there because a death on the cross was the most awful, brutal thing imaginable. And because of that, the second half of the poem goes on to say that God has exalted him and raised him and given him the highest place, it says, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we've got that, actually, that's where that comes from on the wall. Jesus Christ is Lord up there. We, it's, not, it's part of the Bible. It comes from that verse in Philippians chapter 2. And we found out last week, didn't we, why Paul shared this poem? What made him burst into song or what made him think about it? It's because he wants the Philippians in their church, in their relationships, and indeed all other Christians for that matter, right down to you and I, To be like Jesus as he served. That our relationships, the way we are as people, the way we are as a church community, should kind of come out of the same mindset that Jesus had, it says in verse 5. Not just that he had, he still has because he lives in us. It's actually his and he shares it with us. We can't do it on our own. He works that in us. Though we work, obviously, with him in that. Now, that's important. I'm just not kind of catching you up as in, you know, previously in Philippians. It's important because if you look at verse 12, which is where we begin today, the first word is what? Therefore. So we're kind of carrying on with where we were last week. So let's read on. Let's start reading from verses 12 to verse 18, shall we? Therefore, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 
Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So Jesus, we heard in that poem last week, was obedient, wasn't he? He was obedient to death. He was the obedient servant king. And so Paul goes straight on to say that we're to be obedient. There it is. Therefore, my dear friends, have you, as you have always obeyed. He says, Paul says, you did it when I was with you. Now I want you to keep on doing it. I want you to keep on being obedient. What does that mean? What's that all about? Well, obedience is kind of how we start the Christian life. Back in another letter Paul wrote, the book of Romans to a church in Rome, very important letter really, well they're all important, but this is, anyway it doesn't matter, it's as important as all the others, why did I say that, I don't know, anyway, back in that book, it begins in Romans chapter 1 and it ends in Romans chapter 16 and in both places he kind of says the same thing, he talks in chapter 1 about um, how he's called by God to be a preacher of the good news about Jesus. And he says in chapter 1, and also in chapter 16 at the end, what he expects to see, how he thinks people are going to kind of respond, what the point is of sharing that good news about Jesus. And he says the point is he wants to, to see in people what he calls the obedience of faith. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, he talks about it again. Look at this verse up on the screen. He's talking to the Romans about their experience of becoming Christians. He says, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, that's how they were before they became Christians, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. He says, when you became a Christian, he said, you, you obeyed from the heart. He's saying, when we become Christians, we, we hear this amazing good news about Jesus. And to believe it, really, is to obey it. Because when we believe it, if it's true what God has done in Jesus, if that all begins to make sense, you think, yeah, that's true. I'm going to believe that. If I'm going to commit myself to it, then I obey it. And the gospel tells me, that good news tells me, I need to turn to the Lord. Turn to him from where I am. Turn towards him to trust him. To ask for his forgiveness, his new life. To receive the gift he promises. And we begin our Christian life by obeying. And Paul says we continue the Christian life by being obedient to Jesus as our Lord. So he takes, our prior, takes the priority in our lives. Now that's something worth thinking about, isn't it? What he says, how he defines what's right and wrong is something that... You know, we start to kind of see shaping our lives and so on and so forth. Lots of things we could say there. So Paul tells the Philippians, you obeyed when I was with you and you believed. He said, now I'm not with you and your believers, you've got to keep on obeying. And as you do that, he says something else. He says, work out your salvation. See that in that verse there? He said, the rescue you've received from God... You need to, this new life has to be kind of worked out. 
Now, that doesn't mean you have to work hard to get that salvation. It doesn't mean you get uh, rescued by God by doing good stuff and trying to please, you know, do your best to, to kind of hope he'll, you'll make it in the end because he'll kind of let you in. No, that's not it at all. What he's saying is because we've received it, we live in it. See? You know, people talk about working things out in their marriage, don't they? They, they, you know, sometimes you know, maybe you get married and you've done your marriage prep, and uh, you know, you get married, and 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 as you live your married life together, you then that marriage prep kind of gets worked out, doesn't it? You know, you work it out in your life, and you keep on working it out because you keep finding that all kinds of things need to be worked out as you kind of go on. And to be work, working things out in your marriage or your relationship or, or whatever, or, you know, in friendships one with another, you know, we work it out. We live in marriage like married people. And Paul says not only do we kind of work it out, but it affects everything. He says, do everything in a certain way. Actually, he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. What's that about then? Well, it's a reminder. If you know the story of the Old Testament, do you remember the story of the Israelites? How they were rescued from Egypt? You know, they came out through the Red Sea and all of that stuff, and they got into the desert. And what do they do? They are saved out of slavery in Egypt. And then the next thing that happens, they spend the next few months moaning at God, (laughs) arguing with him, grumbling about what was going on, moaning at Moses, fighting each other. And all of that didn't end well, did it? Because they ended up 40 years in the desert kind of learning stuff. You see, there was this salvation event. They were rescued from slavery. They got out of Egypt through the Red Sea. But there was a process of learning and growing and being different. And we need to be keep going. There's a life to live. There's a journey to be on. We don't like, want to be like the Old Testament Israelites. So salvation, then, is to be worked out. There's the obedience. There's working out our salvation. There's this thing about doing everything without grumbling. We're to be obedient. We're to follow Jesus, our servant king. We're to live his way for the whole of our lives and in every part of our life. Hmm. That's not always easy, is it? Is it? And it can be quite hard as you go along the road a bit. You know, you fail a few times. Or you get disappointed. Or you know that there are battles now and there always will be battles. I sometimes feel like that myself. I've been a Christian. I worked out yesterday in preparation for this. 49 years. That's nothing compared to some of you here, I know. But uh, And over the long haul, you know. All these things we need to keep obeying, keep working out. can seem quite hard. Or maybe we've been praying and we've been working for change in a situation or growth or one another or for the church. And it just seems like, is it ever going to happen? Or we can feel sometimes like the time we've got left is a lot less than the time that it seems that we've already wasted. Get that feeling sometimes? The time that we've got left is less than the time we've already wasted. It's a bit miserable, isn't it? 
Where do we find joy then? I thought this was about joy, you may be thinking. Well, there is joy. Because obedience, working out our salvation, these things we do, doing everything the servant way, is half the picture. And there's a really important other half. And there's a big hint of what the other half is about is in verse 12. See that little phrase there? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that's not meant to kind of put the frighteners up us at all. That little phrase actually is used in Mark chapter 5. It's one of that, a wonderful story in Mark chapter 5. Do you know the story of that lady? She had a hemorrhaging, a life, lifetime hemorrhaging condition. Jesus came by. She knew that if she just touched Jesus, he would heal her. She reached out anonymously, touched him. She was healed immediately. And then to her horror, Jesus says, who touched me? And you remember in the verse there, that same phrase comes, this woman. It says in Mark 5, knowing what had happened to her, she came and fell at his feet with fear and trembling. You see, it was, it was not that she was scared of Jesus. It was because something had happened to her. God had done something for her. And, and that sense of God being close made her tremble. And uh, she was probably naturally fearful as well. And you see this when God shows up in the Old Testament at other times. There's this reaction. And the idea of fear and trembling is pointing to this other side. And what is this other side? Well, let's look at that. God works in you, says Paul. That word works is a very powerful word. It means working, it's what energizing, it's a work that gets the job done. When God works on something, it's going to be completed. He's not like me and you, perhaps, I don't know what you're like. You know, I often start something off and never get around to finishing it or I, I lack the resources or for some reason. That's the opposite. When God starts working, it's good as done. That's it. God is at work in you, says Paul, in me. And look at the scope of this work. What is it? What does he do? To will and to act. I don't know about you, but I sometimes have problems with wanting to do what's right. And then sometimes if I choose to do what's right, it's difficult to find the power to do that. Here Paul is saying, God works in you, in me, to help us want what's right, to will, and also to do it. God is at work to help us in those areas, choosing and doing. And all this is part of something much bigger. See that at the end of that verse? To fulfill his good purpose. That's where the joy is. It's in this other side because as we carry on, as we obey, as we live our lives for his glory, God works in us. That's why we can do it. And we've not wasted it. If we've been walking with God for however many years it is, it's not wasted because whether we see it or whether we don't, he is working and he will work. He's got purposes in it. Purposes that, that will not be thwarted, no matter what happens, no matter how much we fail. Do you feel any joy? A bit of joy in that? It's a bit encouraging? I hope so. And as we obey, not just that he's working in us, how is that happening? Well, look at what it says down there in verse uh, 15. It says, we are children of God. 
So as we obey him, as we work out our salvation, as these things that, that we do in our lives, we're simply kind of expressing the fact that we are his children. We're children of God. We're showing the family likeness. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. If you, you, your behavior reflects your father in heaven, we have a new father if we're Christians. Our spiritual DNA has been altered. We have this new nature. We are children of God. And that life grows out. It's a bit like babies, isn't it? Have you noticed with babies, we saw one earlier. Here's one. This is my grandson, Lewis. Now, this is a, he's just over a year. This is the first time I've ever used a picture of an illustration of him, so hope you don't mind that. Mary said, oh, what are you going to do that for? But anyway, there he is. That was at Christmas. Now, he's at a stage now where he, he's not just trying to learn to crawl faster. He wants to be up on his feet. So he pulled, pulled in fact, a bit of an accident this week and kind of fell over uh, 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 you know, on his feet and ended up in A&E. But anyway, that's another story. He's going to be all right. Um, so, but anyway, the thing is, he's got the, the, this, this desire, this life comes out, doesn't it? You know, we don't spend our whole life just crawling. Around. Sometimes our, if you like, our DNA is seen in that. Uh, we were talking to Charles and Hilda Victoria. It's a very, really young walker, isn't it? She was walking around, as you know, in the crash really early. So was, when they were with us, I was saying, is, are other babies like that in Ghana? They said, yeah, lots of babies. In, in, uh, so something about her DNA means she, she's up and walking. And, and, and it's this idea, isn't it, that, that we are children of our Father. And so that life, that, that, that obedience, that not grumbling, that working out our salvation comes out because we're his children. And then there's another image here. It says we're like stars shining. He says you're, gonna, you're like stars that shine in the sky. Now, it's, the thing about a star is you don't have to tell a star to shine, do you? It kind of shines because it, it wouldn't be a star if it didn't shine. Do you, do you see what I mean? Shining is part of its starry nature, if you see what, I, what I'm saying. And Paul is saying, you shine like stars in the universe. God is at work in you. We're his children. He works in us. His life comes out in us. He enables us to shine. That's what he does. As we obey, we work it out. As we do everything the servant way, we're doing that because God works in us. And as we do it, verse 16 says, we hold firmly to the word of life. That's where the star energy, if you like, comes from. The word of life. God's truth in us. Jesus, the living word, living through us by the Holy Spirit. Holding on to his word, the Bible as well. And this, obeying, working out our salvation, everything. These are things we do. But look what God does. That's what I put in green, you see. That's where joy is, hanging on to that, realizing that, even when it's tough. And this is what salvation is. This is what makes a Christian a Christian. God is in our lives. We have a new nature. We're holding firmly to Jesus, our Lord, the word of life, the truth about him in the good news that we hear when we become believers And it starts with obedience. It starts with obedience. 
into that good news. We hear the good news that God has done something in Jesus. And we say yes to God. I want that to be for me. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to give him my life. I'm going to obey this good news. I'm going to obey this word of God. And as that happens, have you noticed, some of you who are new Christian, that God is no longer an idea anymore, but a person who gets into your life and, and as you welcome him and, and begins to change us. His life in us. That's how it starts and that's how it goes on. And that's where the joy comes from. What God does, what we do in response to that, in God's purposes, right until the day of Christ, Paul says here, if we look into verse 16 to 18. And we're living like this with people who follow Jesus too. That's what Paul talks about in verses 16 to 18. He talks about the fact that he, on the day of Christ, we heard when that is, that's at the end of everything, or rather the beginning of the new life. That time when Jesus breaks in, and it's resurrection and judgment, and then eternity. It all begins, really, that's when we'll be really living. That day, at the beginning of that whole of, whole of eternity, Paul says, I'm looking for, I'm waiting for that day. He says, I'm going to want to be able to say, God, you did something great through me on that day. It wasn't a waste of time, verse 16. He says, I might even lose my life, verse 17. He says, I I might be poured out. But he said, even if that happens, I'm glad, I'm rejoicing. Look at that at the end of verse 17, with all of you. Verse 18, so you should be glad and rejoice with me. So he may lose his life, but then he knows he's going to be with Christ, ready for that new life. And he knows the Philippians will shine in their context and live the Jesus way. And Paul is full of joy. And all this, as I say, gets worked out in just day-by-day relationships with other people who follow Jesus. Read verse 18 to 30. I'm just going to spend a few minutes on this and then we'll be over. But uh, as I read verse 19 rather to 30... As we read it, think, what can we learn from these verses about the way these people were connected, the way their lives were shared with each other as we read it through? I guess if we had time, we could go in small groups and talk about it. But we're going to finish in less than 10 minutes, so we haven't got time for that. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him soon, as I see, sorry, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. 
So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So we see some people here, don't we? There's Timothy, talked about. And there's a chap called Epaphroditus. Uh, And there's Paul, who's writing the letter. And then there's the Philippians, the people that he's writing it to. I'm just going to look at some of the background, some of the little assumptions that are kind of working behind all of this. Here's the first one. They are serving together. See that verse 22? Paul and Timothy are serving together. Paul says, Timothy served with me. He says he was like a son. We were like father and son working together in the family business. Interesting, Paul doesn't say he worked for me. He doesn't say I was the boss. He says, me and Timothy, we work together. And that was great. I really love him and I want you to kind of be blessed by him, says Paul. He's a great bloke, as it were. Verse 25. We read about how Epaphroditus, he served Paul's needs, doesn't he? He'd come over from the Philippian church and he bought them a gift of money. He bought them news and he'd kind of helped them out with encouraging them. And and he's been serving Paul. Paul is serving the Philippians. He's saying to the Philippians, I'm going to let Epaphroditus go back to you because I know you're so worried about him. I don't want you to be so worried anymore. You can have him back. He's coming back. He's better now, and I'm sending him back to you. So so Paul is serving the Philippians. Do you get the picture here? They're all been serving together. That's how our salvation gets worked out as we serve together. And what not only that, they're serving together like Jesus. There's that phrase about Timothy. Timothy is not concerned for his own interests. Where did we hear that? In the poem, isn't it? Or just before it, Paul says, Don't look to your own interests, but look to Jesus. Here now, Paul is saying, Timothy, he's like that. He doesn't look to his own interests, he looks to Jesus. He's really concerned for the Philippians. Paul is willing to let, Tim, let, um, uh, uh, let Timothy go back and bring back news. Although Timothy will be you know, Paul's kind of companion, he's willing to serve them by letting him go. Epaphroditus, it says, was willing to give his life. It's, Paul says he nearly died in serving you and helping me because he got sick. I don't know what happened. We don't know. But Paul says he risked his life. He was willing to do that. That reminds us of, again, Jesus is obedient to death. You know, It's all clicking in and ringing bells, or could be. <laughs> See how interdependent they are. Actually, these guys and the Philippian church are living out exactly what it says in verses 1 to 5. We should be. They're doing it. It's happening in between them. They're living the Jesus way. Living the Jesus way as servants works really well together. (laughs) It's a lot easier if we are up for it together. We, in fact, more than that, we need to be like that together. And the other thing I love about this is it's all very real and honest. This is refreshing. You see, lots of us think of people like, 
the Apostle Paul. I suppose it's not helped by the fact that the church has subsequently called them saints. You know, they were the Saint Paul. So you think anyone who's a saint must be pretty kind of awesome, you know, almost superhero status. In fact, old saints used to have some kind of superpowers allegedly, didn't they? But, but anyway, so we kind of think of these people like Paul as like, you know, superheroes or Marvel dudes or, or you know, that kind of stuff. Armor-plated, but Paul isn't. And neither is Epaphroditus, because Epaphroditus got sick. He nearly died. In fact, Epaphras, Paul says, is really distressed, it says in verse 26. Paul is really anxious about how the Philippians are feeling, he says in verse 28. Look at verse 27. Paul says, God God spared Epaphroditus. He didn't die of his illness. And he said, it seems God has been merciful to Epaphroditus. He says, he's been merciful to me, says Paul. Because he said, if Epaphroditus had died, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. He said, oh, it's, it's really hard for me. And if Epaphroditus had died, it would have just been like the last straw. He, you know, he's kind of admitting that being under house arrest is not easy. It's got sorrow in it. And he, 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 he says, if I'd lost Epaphroditus, that would have just been worse. Think, well, just a minute, wait a minute. So what about all this joy you're talking about, Paul? And you, those of us who know Philippians 4 are going to read. We're going to look later on. Paul, Paul, don't you tell us we mustn't be anxious? And here you're saying you're anxious. Surely, Paul, you can't have been afraid that Epaphroditus was going to die. How could Epaphroditus die, Paul? You used to go around the place raising people from the dead yourself. You can read about it in the book of Acts. So, where do we kind of put that? Well, you see, joy, trust, healing, prayer, it's not about some kind of shallow, easy life where there's no distress or anxiety. So where does the joy come from then? Well, joy's got to be there somewhere in this bigger perspective, in looking back to what God has done. Looking forward to the day of Christ, knowing that it is God who works in us, even in our distress, even in our anxiety. It's knowing that as we look back, as we look forward, and we know him in the present, with people who are real and people who are real people who are with us in real pain. People who invest together in the kingdom of God like Paul and Timothy did. People who fight together, it says here that Epaphroditus is my fellow soldier. See, that way, distress, anxiety, disappointment don't have to have the last word. We can still have that joy and that trust, which is perfectly open and honest and doesn't pretend that we're not distressed, anxious, or at times wonder how we're going to cope with sorrow upon sorrow. The two things sit somehow together. It's honest. It's real. It's how life is. That's what Paul is saying here, it seems to me. I'll let you judge for yourself. And we know joy as well because of God's salvation. God is working in us. And we work it out as we obey, as we live this life as his children as we shine as stars, as we're together with others, not pretending it's easy if it isn't, not pretending it doesn't really hurt if it does, but together somehow knowing a deeper joy that enables us to glorify our Lord 
Jesus, who God has declared to be Lord and exalted above everything. God is at work in you. He can be. As we obey that good news, if you're not yet a believer, God can be at work in you. Jesus died to be your Lord, so you can bow to him. Tell him now that you do. Today, pray it. Then tell someone else about it. Or come and talk to someone here if you want to pray with someone afterwards. And then as followers of Jesus, we serve together the Jesus way in a shared life together. Let's be more than people who just kind of hang out for a couple of hours on a Sunday to praise God and listen to a talk. Let's shine. Let's serve. Let's share. Let's live out Jesus together all the time. Now some of us are thinking, well, how do you do that? I often think that. So we have to go and become some kind of hippie community kind of thing. I don't think so. You see, it's a mindset, really. If we want to do that, we will find a way. See, this was real. When Paul wrote this, it was real. There were genuine relationships. And how far were these people apart? Paul is in Rome. The Philippians are in Philippi. They're, they're, they're weeks of travel from each other. That's why we've got these letters. And yet it was real. It can be. They, they found a way. Surely, in our world, with all our connections, well, here's my smartphone, we can find a way, can't we, to share that life together somehow in our connected world. Let's do it. Let's live together the servant way as we follow Jesus. Over to the band. Thanks.